Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your hosts, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Today we're going to take another extreme Q&A. So this makes number four. The very first question that we have is from Marcus Staley. If Jesus is born from Mary, does this still mean that he is a descendant of David? Or is he born into the house of David because Mary is married into Joseph. Now, for an extreme bonus, uh, we have from Jenny in a comment that states, On this topic, or sort of, Matthew has trained us to pick up on what is said and also what is not said. At one point in the Gospels, Jesus is accused of being a Samaritan. He never says no. I always wanted to discuss this more. So, Aaron, uh, wow. Uh, this time we got both barrels. Uh, we're going to get our hands dirty. Once again, Aaron, uh, this is what needs to be done. Okay? Uh, we need to talk about this. These are the types of things that are supposed to be being discussed uh, in church. So, really good question. Let's get uh, straight away to the genealogy. So, for the genealogy, where do you want to go? So, Matthew first? chapter 1, starting in verse 1, really where it starts. Right from the top of Matthew. And <clears throat> Matthew, this, this genealogy starts from Abraham. It doesn't start, start all the way to Adam. So, it only starts from Abraham, which means it's, this is you know, pointing to the Abrahamic covenant. This would be more significant to the Jews. I mean, this is um, we have historical evidence that Matthew was originally written in Hebrew, and it was written most specifically to the Jews in Jerusalem. But of course, it ended up being translated into Greek. So note that this mostly focused towards the Jewish people because he is called. And it just says this is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Anointed, basically. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so, of course, a lot of times the Christ is called the son of David, especially by Bartimaeus. He's like, son of David, come heal me. So, um, it's like I said, it starts with um, the uh, – starts with Abraham, and it goes downward, and um, it – well, the significance about this genealogy is that it names several women, which is very uncommon among genealogies. Okay, and it names Ruth and Rahab. Uh, and Rahab. And what's significant about these people is that they were not Jewish. They were not Israelites. Okay, Ruth was a Right. She was uh, certainly not a Jewish. Yeah, she was a Hittite, and uh, Rahab was a – what was she? Well, she you're was talking from about Jericho. She was just from Jericho, so that's – She would have been a you're, Canaanite. You don't know that. God doesn't tell you that. And then the, the most interesting thing about um, this is that when it mentions Bathsheba, it doesn't really call her by name. It calls her – the one of Uriah, of the yeah. wife of Uriah, is literally all it calls her. It's not net mention her by name. Yeah, it doesn't. It's it's yeah. But another point, Uriah was a. That's right. Which again goes back to what you already mentioned uh, about Ruth. Now, the significance about this is that there's two genealogies given in the scriptures, and then the, the first one in Matthew, and then the one in Luke. Now, when it gets to David, this 
is where it deviates with the two deviates. This one says, gives the um, Joseph as descended through Solomon. Luke gives Christ as descended from Nathan, the son of David. So, um, the significance of this is um, some um, critics uh, have said that, why, well, why would God give the genealogy here if Jesus wasn't actually related to Joseph? Because it goes out of its way to tell you Joseph is direct descendant of David, therefore had the right to the throne. And that was the point. The, the Messiah was supposed to, is supposed to reign on the throne of David forever. So, with that being said, the, pro the only problem is this, that in verse 11, Matthew chapter 1, verse 11, we are told that, that, Christ, that Joseph is descended from one Jeconiah. When Jeconiah is cursed, that no one should sit on his throne. None from his bloodline would sit on the throne. So, <clears throat> this is what is said of Jeconiah in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses, starting in verse 28. Is this man Keniah, shortened as Keniah, a despised shattered jar, or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land they had not known? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord, says Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on a throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So this tells you emphatically, this is the genealogy of Joseph, who was Christ's adopted father, but he could not have been his biological father. So... That's the issue, okay? When people, um, so remember this verse specifically when people try to come against the virgin birth. When Christ could not, it's impossible for him to have been descended from Joseph because he was a descendant of Jeconiah. So, um, but we will note some significant things about what it has to say about him in verse twenty. When an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, he calls him Joseph, son of David. He's referred specifically as a son of David in this text. So it's, it, so it's telling you Joseph is of importance. Why? Why is this? So we are told that Joseph raised Jesus as his own son. He was adopted by him. So by right, Jesus had the right in the house of um, David. Now let's look at the other genealogy. This is in Luke chapter 3. It's different from uh, Matthew and then it goes in it, that it goes in descending order rather than first to last. Um so this is what it says in verse 23. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposed the son of Joseph. That's what's significant. It says he was supposed to be the son of Joseph. So people assumed this of him. Um, and the wording for that um, is nomizo, literally by law. By law, he was the son of Joseph. I.e., he was the guardian mm -hmm. of Jesus. He had legal right over. In today's term, you would say that he was a legal guardian of Jesus. This is literally technical term. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, then it says the son of Eli. But we are told earlier in Matthew that the father of Joseph was Jacob. What is this telling you? This is telling you that this is not – this will be the genealogy of someone else. This is implying um, – this is generally considered to mean that this is the genealogy of Mary. But it's not given. That's why it starts with by law he was the son of Joseph, but then goes to then skips over to um, Mary's father Eli, and then um, it goes down. Uh, 
down all the way to verse 31 of Luke chapter 3, and it says, Son of Nathan, son of David. David. Son of Nathan, son of David. Nathan, we know very little about. Um, is that except that he may have been the very youngest son of David. And some people believe that he was named after the, the prophet. prophet. The prophet. Uh, Nathan, who cursed. David had a firstborn son, and it wasn't Saul. No. His firstborn son died. And he was the son of Bathsheba. So, so everybody remember Solomon was the um that Solomon was the second born so yes so technically it was the it was the eldest surviving child of I'm sorry to say this but of King David and the wife of Uriah yep and so but if this if this is correct that this that Luke's genealogy is for Mary, she was also a descendant of David, but through another son. Through Nathan. Yes. Nathan did not rule as a king. So, but this is what I always said. That by right, he was the, the he, by, he had the right to the throne of David through Joseph. So he needed this. He needed the right, of course, the father, the patriarch, right? So he would need a um, uh, the the patriarchal right to the throne, but by blood, he had the right through Mary. This is what I always said. But um, Jennifer pointed out something um, that is that should be considered. Now this is from um, John eight forty. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So, the point that Jenny was making, he never counters the point. Of being a Samaritan. Yes, and we all should understand that their wording, how we not said rightly, as if they had evidence of a sort. So, um, we could say two things about this. They were saying he was literally a Samaritan, or they were saying he was an illegitimate child. Which, in their, of course, the Jews' eyes, that's a that's exactly what you meant. When you were referring to a Samaritan, you were referring to someone who was illegitimate, like, of course, the woman at the well. And we've gone on this many times. Uh, many times I've told you about the Samaritans. What is a Samaritan? They are... <clears throat> they are what in the books of kings are referred to as the kings of Israel. At one point, the... Um, the land of Israel got divided between uh, the sons of David and the sons of Joseph. And the sons of David um, called their their area, they called it the land, the land of Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And then the land of Israel, which contained most of the other tribes of Israel, they referred to um, that as, that was referred to as Israel, but it came to be referred to as Samaria. Samaria, because the capital of the kingdom was, of course, Samaria. In Samaria, um, when the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians came in, they um, they were getting interbred. Right. This is the main key, the main strategic genius of the Assyrians. They would come in, they would deport half the population back to Assyria, then they would take uh, uh, Assyrians bring them into the land that had been conquered and have them marry off so that literally the Assyrian seed would be mingled into the general population of the said place that had been conquered. Yep. And like I said, the kings of Israel were the uh, 
the sons of Ephraim, the son of Joseph. And this is the reason why the New Testament refers to the sticks of Joseph and of David, of David. Judah. Of, of Judah, Judah being mended together. Right. This is Ezekiel 37, the prophecy of the, of the two sticks. Okay. And Messianic Jews, you talk to Messianic Jews, and they interpret, uh, well, well, let me take, it, take a few step backs. Uh, in Judaism, there are two messiahs, at least two messiahs. That's right. A son, Messiah, son of Joseph, and Messiah, son of David. That's right. In their concept, in their apocalypticism, they say that Messiah, son of Joseph, is the suffering servant. He will be killed in battle. He would be resurrected by the son of David, Messiah, son of David. And he would just, and but the Messiah, son of David, would actually ascend to the throne, and the Messiah, son of Joseph, would not. So, um, this, uh, we talked to Messianic Jews. They have the, they believe that Jesus is both. They believe that Jesus is Messiah Ben Joseph in a sense that he suffered for our sins. But Messiah, son of David, in that he will, of course, <clears throat> rule over, rule it on the throne of David. So, what is interesting about this whole thing is that, um, you have to realize that in the Talmud, it states very specifically that the four craftsmen of Zechariah is Messiah, son of David, Messiah, son of Joseph, number two, Elijah, number three, and the righteous priest, or Zadok, is a fourth craftsman. So this takes up a whole different different measure here. But let's get back to the text. You will take note, uh, if we go back to the genealogy in Matthew, it goes way out of its way to be very poignant about what it's talking about. It says, this genealogy, you take note, let me stress this again. I just told you that they believe in two messiahs, one son of David, one son of Joseph, correct? Read this first sentence in Matthew again, this first verse. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the anointed, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, this is telling you that this is his portion of Messiah, son of David. This illicitly would be telling the Jew it's not. Jesus is not. This genealogy is not supplying to you Messiah Ben Joseph. Right? Right. Because it goes out of the way. It says first, the Messiah, the son of David. So, <clears throat> for all of you who don't know that the word Christ is simply the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. It means the anointed one. So we have a major problem here with this name Joseph, don't we? We have to take this down a notch so people understand. We're not talking about the Messiah, son of or Joseph, Jesus' father. No, 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 that not that Joseph. The Joseph. Yeah, and that's and that's the issue. I and mean, it almost seems quite ironic that the that this direct son of David would be called Joseph. And he would be um, the adopted father of Jesus. So literally, you'd be forced to say Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph. Right. You'd be forced to say it. And it all it, it obviously creates a conundrum when you don't know what's going on. Because the Americanized church has no idea there's a Messiah, son of Joseph. They have no idea. They don't know half of the prophecies in the butwell. We talked about this today, son. They completely reject uh, the prophets anyway, correct? They don't even read the Old Testament, correct? Yeah, they all they all basically will tell you that the that the um that the most of the prophets have basically been fulfilled already. And their main point is this. 
the only Old Testament verses that are supposed to be read are the verses included in the New Testament. The direct quotes from the Old Testament. That's the only thing they even read. So, with this in mind, Aaron, the Americanized church don't realize that, well, the Jews always believed in two messiahs. And by the way, two of them are the four craftsmen of Zechariah. That's what they believe. Now, with that in mind, now you realize why it says what it says. So you got any further thoughts on this, Aaron? So, it is true that they have, that they, multiple times the two genealogies will come back together, and here in that, um, uh, and it's also clear that there are a bunch of people who are naming themselves after tribes of Israel. Multiple here are named Judah, Joseph, uh, Simeon. And it makes me wonder uh, if at one point, okay, so I'm looking in Luke, in verse thir uh, Luke chapter three verse thirty, it says, um, Eliakim, son of Jonah, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah. So we are seeing uh, it move from two different tribes. So is it possible that Mary was? technically a Samaritan. She was a descendant of Joseph. That would be as to say that Jesus united the two sticks that he was inside himself. That he was by blood a descendant of Joseph, uh, uh, of Ephraim, son of Joseph, but by right, he was the son of David. Okay, let me ask this very carefully because everybody's going to jump all over you for this. So you're saying that it's quite possible that Mary was a Samaritan. Yeah. That is to say, we have multiple instances in her genealogy list, of course, even the tribe of Simeon mentioned here, right? Mm-hmm. And Simeon was one of the tribes that stayed with Judah. That's right. So... It's very well possible. Them speaking like this, they knew Mary was from one of the northern, northern tribes. They knew prophetically that was Ephraim. They knew prophetically that made him a Samaritan. So, literally, in Jesus himself, he had both sticks joined together in his birth. Messiah, son of David, and Messiah, son of Joseph, thereby joining Ezekiel's two sticks together. Yep. I mean, we don't have clear enough proof to come out and say that this is this is the fact, but it is very possible, and that would make a lot of eschatological sense in the Old Testament. And one of these reasons is this. In um, Matthew chapter 2, it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. This is in Hosea 11, verse 1. It says, When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Just check yourself, son. Do you not realize that just said that he could not have been Messiah, son of David? Yes, of course, but let me let me go further. So it says here, when Israel was a youth, I loved him. Okay, Israel here is referring to the northern tribe. That's right. This, how do we know this? We'll move on to the next verse. And more they called them, and they were they went from sacrificing. They went and sacrificed to the Baals and burning incense to the idols because Samaria was. This was one of the reasons why the Jews rejected them. And next it talks about Ephraim. And then it says, when I, it, yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in his, in my arms, and they did not know that I healed them. So, in context. In context. In context, it's talking about Ephraim. Yes. So, in context, there can be no mistakes made. Aaron. 
no bones about it, that Matthew chapter 2 and verse 15 is calling Jesus Messiah, son of Joseph, i.e. son of Ephraim, i.e. son of Samaria. There's no way around it. So, you have to understand, if you don't understand Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophecy of the two sticks, if you don't see that, if you don't understand that, you will never see this coming. You'll never see it coming. And without these two genealogies, you're left empty-handed. He is Messiah, son of Joseph. And he is Messiah, son of David, all wrapped up into one. He is the joining of the two sticks. And what always stood out to me about the prophecies in Genesis 49 about the all the sons of Israel, it, this is, it, it makes very little messianic references to Judah. Okay, so it says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rise him up. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Silo comes, and to him the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine. Okay, so then we um, move down, and who was, of course, Jacob's favorite son? It was uh, Joseph. And it says in verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a spring. Branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile in the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. For there is for there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your father who helps you. And by the God who blesses you, who blesses of heaven above and blesses of the deep, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, blessings so, of your fathers, the blessing of your father, have gone, have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hill. May they be on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. So it says the scepter is in the hand of Judah, and yet it says the crown on his head is on Joseph. It and it's on Joseph. And it head. says that his blessing surpassed all of his ancestors. And whenever I read this, it always kind of bothered me. Because the greatest prophecy is given directly to Joseph. Is given to Joseph, not to Judah, son. And you have to understand the, the magnitude of the prophecies of just this. You know the two sticks. I've taught you and trained you about that rod of iron, correct? Yep. Listen to it and hear it resoundingly in your ears, resoundingly. Now, now, now listen, your sons will be as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore, right? Mm -hmm. Listen very carefully. With blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. He's painfully telling you. Here he says that the blessings of the deep are lying beneath. They get buried. They're dead. Then he goes right around and switches it up, and you have the warning from Matthew 24, verse 19. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers, correct? Blessings of the breast and of the womb. So we are ta talking about what we always refer to as the two 144,000. Revelation refer references two different groups. The one, the first one we refer to as primus resurrexit. It means the first resurrection. These are the ones who are kept in the outer darkness and they end up being martyred for the faith. And they will be resurrected when Christ comes back. The second group we refer uh, to as primus ascendimus. And that is children who have been 
two years and under, taken from the wound. And like, and, and it, this is what many will refer to as a rapture. It, we do not use that wording because of its etymology. If you find it very disrespectful, that etymology. But yes, they are taken out of the womb and taken to heaven. Yes. But this is, we refer to as the day of he who sits upon the throne, which would be uh, the father, the father coming to earth. This Stopping a third slaughter of the innocents. Yes, on the sixth seal of, of Revelation chapter 6, it says that the father will come and then all will know and um, will say to the rocks to hide us. Yes, say to the stones, hide us. And, uh, well, we just had a big conversation today about Isaiah chapter 54 uh, coming right out, right out and telling you uh, what's going on. So these children we, we came to decide are going to return with him as the army on horses right? when he at the Battle of Armageddon. Yes. Um, and it specifically says these stones. Now, look. I'm being very, let me be very clear with you. Christ in Luke chapter 19 goes way out of his way to describe these children as stones that cry out. Illicitly, it said that these stones is what's going to rebuild these precious walls in, in Isaiah chapter 54, correct? Correct. They never leave the throne room with Christ. They never leave his, his presence. Outside of the temple and the administration, the government of the entire planet is on the other group. Primus resurrects it, correct? Correct. They're the ones that perform uh, the priestly duties outside the temple four walls. So, um, yeah, like going back to what we were saying... Um, what is our consensus? What is our – do we stand by the decision that Jesus was by blood, Samaritan, by right, a Jew? I don't know. Um, I find it, like we said, contextually. I mean, Matthew, when he was uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, but when he was compiling all of this, he as a Jew, of course, knew – he knew what was. You up. know, all the all the Hebrews reading that would know that in context it was talking about Ephraim when it quotes that. Right. Which would would be saying he's of the northern ten tribes. That's Israel, and that's called Samaritans. Yep. So everybody wants it to be a a bad thing. You mean he was half Assyrian? This means. Samaritan, by way of their capital, was Samaria. Interesting enough, we're told about this. That Nathan was this, that Nathan, whom we're given the genealogy for, is that he's, he was the son of David by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. She was an Israelite. So, could this basically be saying that this is where it deviates. We don't know much about Nathan at all. No, we're not given too many details outside of the simple fact that you don't have to like it. He cursed the firstborn son of David and Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like it. That's that child, in a sense, that child is up there with the Lord. Yes, and we talked about this earlier concerning another post about the limbo of the innocents. Yep. So if you want more details on that, they're just going to have to go to the other. I can't remember which Q&A. That, that was the first Q&A. Was that was the first Q&A? No, second Q&A. would have to be second one. But, um, yeah, we um, – this the, – <laughs> the one who held the, the actual right to the throne – the firstborn, you know, that was David. That was taken from David. That was taken from David. So that child is, in a sense, if you were to say in a sense, is part of Primus and Demos. Right. One of those innocents up there. One of the, the innocents up there. But 
Anyway, boy, we, we've certainly covered quite a lot of uh, ground with this one. It took us 40 minutes to answer one question. Um, well, question number two. Uh, this one was uh, Marissa Erickson again. Does the rapture happen before or after the, se after the seven years of peace? I've heard so many theories on this, and it's crazy. Some even believe it'll be in the middle. What say you? As I mentioned earlier, we um, we do not use the term rapture, uh, as it is disrespectful if you look at, into the etymology of the name of, of the word rapture. But our view of it is very different from most. <laughs> if you were to ask us what we believe of the rapture, we would give you three different answers. The first answer, I mean, there there is three concepts of the rapture. There's the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. The general idea of the rapture, I would say we would we're, we believe in post-trib, but we also believe in a mid-trib, but we're not taken to heaven. Okay. Okay, so the pre-trib, this is what we think of it. The pre-trib is what we call primus ascendimos. That's right. That's not all the... Christians, only 144,000 children inside the womb. And those nursing, those have not crossed the two-year barrier, i.e. they don't have their front teeth yet. We have all historical proof. Do you understand, Aaron? Not some, all. David Roll even found the babies in the containers from the slaughter of the innocents. You, you realize that. So... What does this mean? Look, when the soldiers came in, they would take their finger and stick it in the child's mouth. If it had teeth, that meant it was two that meant it was two years old. So if it had its front teeth, it would not have been sucking, right? Look. Not for some of the years, son. For all the years of creation. A child was weaned once it got its front teeth. That was a two-year mark, they say. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. So if the child did not have its front teeth, they ran a sword through it. Do you understand that? Yeah. This, um, the evidence of, you will not hear the concept of primus ascendimos from anywhere else. Um, as far as we know, we are the only ones who teach it, but give us the references for them to go check it out for themselves. What, you mean most right, here, right now? Yeah. Oh. Most specifically, uh, oh. Revelation chapter... Uh, 14. Okay, uh, that's what they are. Um, Isaiah chapter 26, it describes illicitly that God snatches them from the room so they don't enter the travail. Okay, you understand? Just so we are sure. When travail is mentioned in the singular sense, it means the final push, you know, the push when the baby comes out. Yep. That's why Isaiah 54 says that, well, anyway, Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 54, Revelation chapter 14. If you read that and come to grips to what it's saying, you'll be able to get a shakedown on this. You'll be able to understand why he says. Uh, he comes right out and says that he himself teaches them. Yep. He instructs them. Yep. Isaiah chapter 54. It literally comes out and says he teaches your children. Yep. He literally says he teaches. And these um so this is what we what we would interpret as the pre-trip. Um this right. is not scripturally there is no proof to a partial return of Christ. No, no, that's... there's no nothing in the scripture that that tells you that Jesus will come into the sky, never take that. everyone, and then not leave. He, he never says. No. That. no, but we refer to this as the great day who sits upon of He who sits upon the throne. This right. is God the, the Father. This is a tribulation trigger. It's these children. He comes to well. You see about also the pro. Oh, there's so many different prophecies we could quote from here. Uh Look, there's just too many to count. We could go to the Emmanuel prophecies in Isaiah 7 and 8. It gives you great detail. But anyway, listen, let's try to keep this short and to the point. This is the tribulation trigger. This is not 
first off, let's 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 predicate this. Son, you have to realize that this person thinks that the four writers, the four craftsmen, are included in this seven-year tribulation. That's not what the Bible says. You're going to go through the four writers. They're the four craftsmen. They're there for a reason. So, literally, most Christians would say we're calling this mid-trib, that these children are snatched to heaven. Okay, that's the beginning of the 1,260 days. So that would be the middle of a seven-year peace agreement, correct? Mm -hmm. So the return of Christ, she would say, well, well, the alagosmuthia. Let's talk about what it really is. He literally says alagosmuthia. That means in Greek, you're going to be changed on the earth at that time. That you're talking about that happens at the return of Christ when he comes down here he kicks everybody's butt and sets up the kingdom so this is day one of the millennial reign of Christ okay so so when the scripture says one will be taken and one will be left what is this referring to this is what more what better would be referred to as mid-trip right mid-trip right. this is what Revelation chapter 12 talks about we my dad has, throughout his ministry, referred to this as Operation Eagle's Wings. Right. It, it says that the that the woman who is the bride of Christ, all of the church, right. will be given wings like an eagle, which we interpret right. as being angels taking us. Right. And um, we are taken to a place prepared. We don't know where that is, but if it is in a heavenly realm, it's not the highest heaven. It no, is a place where the Satan still can attack. It says there's a water that comes out of his mouth. Right, and it goes into illicit detail, well, in many chapters about that too. But this flood that's issued from his mouth is a rebellion inside that woman mimicking Karal's rebellion. Yeah, and in, um, in the uh, Pentateuch, we are told of Karal. He was a Levite who said, um, who gives Moses and Aaron the right to rule over the people? He says that we should. And so he said, who does God choose? And then when God shows that he's chosen Moses and Aaron, he opens up the earth and and yeah. Korah and all of his rebellion is swallowed into the earth. Right. And goes and the scripture says they just go directly into the underworld. But yeah, they don't get they don't have a get out of jail free card. They don't pass go. They go straight. They go straight to the end of the world. And these are probably the only people that's ever done that. They physically went into Sheol. Yeah. Uh, and so the same uh, wording is used in Revelation chapter twelve. It says that the earth opened its mouth to help the woman, and that the flood that came out of the mouth of the dragon goes inside. Right. This 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 means that there is a pur another purge of right. There the must ungodly. be refining. Yeah, God refines his people continually throughout. You have other scriptures that give you details as to why these participants wind up in the wilderness with you. Anyway, so make a – to be very clear, this entire schemata that 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 this, this whole seven-year thing comes off of one verse – Let's read Daniel chapter 9 and the very last verse, verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here, boy, we could we could talk a whole lot about this too, correct? Mm -hmm. But here in this ver verse, you have to remember that time goes topsy-turvy in the middle of this week, okay? So, <sighs> so to be sure. When the four craftsmen are writing for that part of the tribulation, the first part of this covenant, 
time operates as you now experience it. It takes 24 hours for the Earth to spin once. It takes the Earth 365 and one quarter days to make one lap around the sun. After the great day of he who sitteth upon the throne, that's not going to be that way. They've already written down Isaiah chapter 54, right? In there it says God moves the earth. And he likens this to the days of Noah, correct? Mm -hmm. You have to realize, son, I mean, you realize we could read Isaiah chapter 54 right now and it literally encapsulates eschatology, that one chapter. And as a matter of fact, son, we can do that with many chapters in the Bible. It literally will encapsulate eschatology in of itself. So, I hope we weren't too cons too confusing, but by the modern standard teaching, the relocation event, we are not raptured to heaven. We're relocated to a place that's been prepared. Isaiah chapter 54 tells you that. You're gathered somewhere. Yeah, we don't know yet where All that we, is, but if the scripture ever even tells us where that is. Well, the scripture illicitly says you're going to be changed. It says it says you will be given hind's feet. How could you have hind's feet, son? Hind's feet is a reference to, well, a deer or a horse. You understand? Yeah. So... And it also says that you will walk in your high places. Son, what on earth is a high place to a human? So we don't understand what's going on. No. This, but, but when it says high places in Hindsight, this is most specifically referring to mountain goats. Yes. They, they, goats. They, they have certain they have special legs that helps them crawl up mountains. This is, remember, Jesus says when this abomination of desolation is set up, Go flee to, flee to, to the mountains of Judea. To the mountains, yes. Flee to the mountains of Judea. So, okay. Now, but I said most specifically, if we were to say that we stand with a rapture of any kind, we're post-trip. We believe that you are, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, is referring to the resurrection. As is Second Corinthians chapter 15. It comes right up and tells you that happens at the resurrection. That There's no arguing with that chapter, son. Yeah. So... But that is to say, you need to understand that there is a relocation event. That's mid-trip. That happens on the great day of he who set us upon the throne. More illicitly, it happens after the war in heaven. Yep. And yeah, yeah, after yeah. Ma after Michael wins the fight with Satan, after he's done, then Michael and the good guys come to relocate you. Because the enemy was – it says the enemy ha was waiting for the pregnant woman to give birth to devour the child, but the child was taken from him. Right. So let's go – okay. Let's go back to what you just read, the prophecy about Joseph in Genesis chapter 49. Yes, those children are the target. They are. The reason they are the tribulation trigger. They are. So, how much time we got left? We have to already be past our. Yeah, we're we have six minutes to answer the next question. Can it be done? The, this one's from JMG, right? Yeah. Okay, bring it up. Uh, John Mark Gomez, can you guys cover who were the gods of India? Were they the angelic or their descendants? I'm sure the same events were happening worldwide. Dispensing of knowledge to the peoples of the earth by the gods of the nations. So, I've mentioned before that by the time that Samaritans, no, not Samaritans, Sumerians began writing, started the first writing language, the language had already been lost, you know. Uh, I mean, not the language, but the but the history of all that had begun before. A lot of it had been lost. Most of the most reliable records we have of things that happened before the Sumerians started writing, um, 
the most they're found in the Bible. And those are the only ones we can everything else we, we have to we can only like I've used before is two witnesses if they will agree but like oh they they would deify monarchs and they would try to remember them by making them, you know, gods fighting dragons and other sorts of things. So there was a lot of that thing. We also refer to the fall of the angels. The angels um, were uh, taking human wives, and they had children called the Nephilim. Um, this most of the stuff that happened before the flood, mentioned in Genesis chapter six, verses one to four, that most of that is like most of anything before the flood is completely lost, and even mythologies of other nations. But most of what you're going to find in there is going to come from the second incursion, what we refer to the second incursion, where angels fell after the flood um, and were commingling with the Canaanites most specifically and beginning the, the giants known as the Raphaim, the Anakim, and all the other things. And these, um, these of course, were deified, and uh, they were demigods to the people, so they would call them gods and things like that, and they would... Uh, have various things as such. So, where do does their mythology line up? And I, I it, something that's very hard, you know, even for me is like most people don't even consider the history that the Indians tried to keep in their uh, Mahabharata, that one of their biggest epics. It literally gives you from creation all the way, you know you know, gives a huge genealogy of the different avatars and the the, uh, the gods and all the human leaders and all of that, which how could we compare that to the scripture? It, so far, I have not been able to decipher it because it's so separated from everything else. It's It was developed at a different time. But I suggest that possibly wrong, that, that the... Um, Solar Dynasty may refer to the Kushite. This is why, okay? So we are um, the they refer to um, the Noah as uh, Shradadeva Manu. There's more than one Manu. This basically means an Adam who uh, throughout uh, a Kalpa, which means a certain era and such. So, um, in this, and he was the first one, uh, of our, uh, era. So he had two sons, they say, um, and these, uh, created lunar and the lunar and solar dynasties, as they're called. The first one is Ila. The second, the second one is Ik. Ikshvaku. I am. I. I think I'm close. So these most specifically, um, they call them the lunar and solar dynasties. This sounds to me. This is where Cush gets involved. Okay, in Genesis chapter. Okay. Genesis chapter ten, verse seven, we are told this: the sons of Cush, who was the son of Ham were Seba, Havila, Sabta, and Rama, and Sabteka, and the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. In verse 8, so um, I've talked about this before. I believe this is talking about twins. Two Cushes means twins. So you're saying that verse 7 is one Cush, and verse 8 that Kush is his twin. Yes. And I believe that perhaps the lunar dynasty uh, by Elah is the one who's the father of Nimrod. Why? Because Elah has the nature of the name El, which was what the Canaanites called this, this being. They referred to the father of uh, Baal, who was the father of Nimrod. So... Um, that is talking more of the angelic side. 
an interesting part of, of the Ela story is that the, it has a sex change, that the character is turned from a female to a male <laughs> um, through prayer. And I, I, don't, I don't know how we want to interpret that if it's just completely lost in you know mythology. But I think that Rama of the solar dynasty, the Ikshvaku, um, that solar dynasty, the descendants of him is Rama or Ram. He's one of the biggest parts of uh, Indian uh, mythology. He's there. He has a whole epic devoted to him called the Ramayana. In their uh, concept, they say he is an avatar of Vishnu, but that's basically just saying, you know, he was a special person. <laughs> you know, they would just say that he was a, uh, you know, literal incarnation of the god, but we know how to interpret that. Um, he was not literally, but he was a very, um, he had a part to do with this. And I, it's, in the Ramayana, I think Rama here is the same as Rama, the son of Kush. It is spelled differently, um, but Rama is told that he has two sons, Sheba and Adan, and um, later on you're told that he has, that Rama has two sons, and, uh, but they have different names. But uh, he is told basically his story is is that he fights a demon king named Ravana with an arrow, and, uh, with a bow and arrow. So I think that he gets mixed with Nimrod, like which which is actually the son of the other Kush. So this Rama is conflated between the stories. But the story of Nimrod, as I described before, is that this Nephilite who chose to serve the Lord, he fights um, his father. A demon king or a Nephilim named Baal, we refer to him as the tyrant. And I think that this just ties in with Ravana of the uh, Ramayana story. So um, that's my opinion on the thing. Um, I think that they were close. I think that the Indians had the whole concept of God right down to the straight point. They had the concept of the Trinity and everything. They had the concept of God in being incarnate. But um, why do they have the concept of Trinity? They uh, they have the three God main gods and Vishnu. If I were to say that Vishnu were anyone, it, it it's very clear that he must be. Like if you were to compare it to Christ, it, he would be very easily comparable. But um, it was polluted by legend, polluted by uh, polygamy. No, not polygamy. Uh, uh, polytheism. The they got polluted into Hinduism as it is now. But I do think at one point they really had the concept of the Trinity down, the concept that God was going to become incarnate. They had the concept of flood and everything, all of that down. But, um, of course, you know, once you have devoted yourself to demons, things, the truth is just lost. So that is to say that this God, Rama, in the Indian myth, is picked up and told plainly the truth is Genesis chapter 7, Genesis chapter 10, verse 7. Yeah. And this is actually two Cushes. Seven and eight are referring to two twins. Yeah, and we are told that there are two, there are two Cush, Cushes people. People will tell you that Cush in the Bible is Ethiopia, but my friends, there are two Cushes in the world. Cush in Africa, which is now Ethiopia, and Kush in India. It's called the the Hindu Kush to this day. So, with that in mind, uh, boy, whew. Um, and we still have, we have one more question for the next one. Let's see here. Have we answered all the questions? Oh, we haven't answered this. We haven't answered Jedediah, okay. our friend Jedediah's question. Yeah, we will. We'll get to the goat herder. Uh, we and let's see here. We also have a question. Um, where's that at? Oh, we also have a question pertaining to uh, Luke twenty four forty two, which is going to be good. So we really already have enough questions for the next one, don't we? Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, we also need to get this out there right now. Um, 
catch Aaron on Facebook. He's just posted a fundraiser. We need to buy some clips uh, so that we can start putting together a documentary. Uh, that can be very expensive. So, uh, you know, if you're wanting to see uh, this documentary put together, uh, The Apocalypse of Enoch, uh, the Ackman Fragments, chapters 1 through 5 of the Book of Enoch, uh, hey, get on board, uh, support us, and let's get this documentary done. It is going to uh, be available on Amazon for streaming. So, uh, boy, so much on our, on our plate. Uh, man, the summer's going to go by so quickly. Um, all right, Aaron, give your goodbyes. Yeah, God bless. Um, continue to study. Continue to study, indeed. Uh, and I highly suggest to all of you take a... Uh, read of Isaiah chapter 54 because it does encapsulate eschatology all in itself. Uh, but boy, we've mentioned so many things tonight. Um, well, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate.